Welcome back to Six Picks Music Club, a podcast for people who have just recently started using a CPAP machine. Welcome back, everybody. We are very psyched to have you here this week. This is going to be our uh, Cats in the Cradle episode where we talk about songs that are from the parental perspective as well as songs that are from the uh, the juveniles perspective. So not just Harry Chapin side of things, but also the kid who wants the car keys. Jeffro, we have to have a password to open up the clubhouse. What's the password this week? 30,000 pounds of bananas. <laughs> <laughs> With the Harry Chapin reference. That's right. That's right. 30,000 pounds of bananas will get us in the door. Let's open it up. Come on in. Listener, who's your friend today? You brought two friends? That's awesome. Thanks, listener. Come on in, everybody. Let's let's find some space. Who's your daddy? Who is your daddy? And what does he do? How did they hurt you? Well, before we go too far, um, Jeff, there was some things said last week, and um, I think you said that you have some things you want to say to our audience. I do, everyone, and uh, listen, um, we all make mistakes, right? Um, And last week or last app, I did make a mistake uh, when I said that Stone Temple Pilots recorded the secret song, My Suck It album, on their own, and that it was a cover of another man named Richard Peterson. It wasn't a cover. That's right. It was actually a recording of Richard Peterson on the Stone Temple Pilots record, and it did appear on the vinyl cut of Purple. So I'm so sorry, everyone, um, community of listeners. Um, I, I got it wrong this time, but uh, I hope that you understand that I'm always trying to improve. Thanks, Jeff. And listeners out there, just want to um, reaffirm our commitment at Six Picks Music Club to giving you the best information we have at the time that we have it. Uh, with the understanding that we are not perfect people and um, we don't know what we're doing. Well, let's do let's do a week in review. All right. Well, uh, the biggest thing that happened for for me this week, we had to like put our dog down, which was like kind of a bummer. And um, you know, we uh, had a cocker spaniel for 14 years, Shelby dog. She was so old, and she was just kind of like ready to go, and so we had to put her down. The thing that was tough about it, uh, aside from like how hard it was personally, it was just like that we have these kids that like don't understand death yet. And so we had to explain to them what was happening. And uh, it was it was really, really heartbreaking and and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, it just made the week very hectic and not to like minimize the element of it but it, it there were so many other things happening at the same time and so like trying to uh uh prioritize our emotions in that space while we were also trying to figure out uh these other things so like i got a i got a cpap machine at the same time and so uh i had to go in for training on how to use the cpap machine and i yeah, because I, I don't know. I did a sleep study and they were like, you have 30 apnea events in an hour and like you only have 80% oxygen. And that's why you probably have gained weight. And I was like, cool. Yeah, I just like put my dog to sleep. So can we just can you just give me the machine? And they're like, no, 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 we're going to train you. It's like, oh, fuck. OK. Uh, 
And so I sat there with um, uh, three of the oldest people I've ever seen in the world. Um, and one of them's name was Mildred. Mildred was there. <laughs> she only has 60% oxygen. <laughs> Pauline was there as well. Mildred and Pauline. And then um, uh, uh, Glenn was the third guy. So, yeah, um, all ancients, all octogenarians. But he was just there for the cookies. No, he was definitely there to, to figure out how to fucking breathe, because, like, he looked <laughs> real close, real close to death. And um, uh, and this poor... This thing work in the casket? This, <laughs> this poor guy, Hector, he's, he's delivering the training class, and it's like an hour where we're sitting there, and he's unpacking the machines for us, telling us how to put our masks on. And like, and I'm like over there talking to Mildred, like, no, 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 this is the button you have to push. I'm like trying to teach people how to use technology and I've never used it before, but like, fuck, I'm a Gen Xer. So I kind of know what things are. And I, it's just, it's, it's become this whole bit where, um, uh, my grief was overtaken by the need to like breathe and, uh, and then teach octogenarians about how to breathe. So, um, it was a wild ride and, uh, Fortunately, I have moved to a new mask that isn't causing a, a ridiculous rash on my face any longer because I was that was one of the other side effects was that like you wear this thing and it just like blows like a leaf blower's uh, strength of air into your fucking gullet and your nose. And if you like open your mouth, like throw out, it's just like it's it's insane. So when do you have to go in for the CPAP smear? I've heard a lot about those. <laughs> Yeah, they put a speculum in my mouth and like crank me open to see how far my uvula falls. It's, uh... <laughs> like I went to bed and like wore this thing all night and like I got the best sleep, a full eight hours, totally recharged, woke up, popped out of bed, made fucking pancakes for the kids. It was amazing. So do a sleep study, get this shit because, awesome, you know, dude. like who are we trying to be sexy for? Our kids are already in, they're already out there. <laughs> That's like the hottest thing that Dave's ever said to his wife. Who are we trying to be sexy for anymore? You know, let's quit. <laughs> you can always have CPAP sex, which is hilarious because she was like, "Do you want to do like a home invasion fantasy thing where you're like, I'm oh. here to get you?" And I was oh like, "That's really intense. I don't know that I want that because it's like Bane. It's like." <laughs> yeah, it's like a Bane mask on my face. <laughs> oh, I was born in the dark. You just walked up in it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, I came really hard. <laughs> Let's get into it, guys. Um, listener, how you doing? Do you need a pee break? No, you're good. You don't have a urinary tract? Fantastic. Let's just dive right into our topic tonight. And, you know, we said earlier that uh, this was going to be our Cats in the Cradle episode, reference to that Harry Chapin song about uh, parental regret and, and, and childhood relationship drama. It's one of the most touching songs about being a capitalist dad that's out there. <laughs> You know, this was a this was another topic that that came in from uh, from a listener email. Uh, uh, this guy Mike uh, Mike Rochburns he he emailed in asking if we would do a song about about parental relationships. <laughs> we each picked a song from the perspective of 
the Harry Chapin character, the parental character, and then as well as the uh, the Mike the Mike Rochburn's character, the child, because clearly <laughs> Mike Rochburn is the child, uh, cousin of of Peter <laughs> Peter Pants, obviously, because we're children. <laughs> We're just children over here. <laughs> Without further ado, um, oh, let's God. let's. Do we want to start with the immature children, or do we want to go piece by piece? What do we? How do we feel today? Uh, I think kids and then parents. Wayne Kerr has just written in to say <laughs> that we should start start with me. Most everyone should know this song. This is a this is a song. From the 80s, it is Fight for Your Right by the Beastie Boys. Parenthetically, you gotta fight for your right to party. For me, as a, as a youth growing up and, and not really having a whole lot of music in my life aside from what was allowed at the church and then what was, you know, MC Hammer that I was allowed to listen to, uh, I didn't really find a band that uh, told me I was allowed to tell my parents to, uh, you know, go suck it uh, until I, I went away <laughs> to work at, uh, at camp and, and then uh, I was introduced to the Beastie Boys. And this song in particular uh, stands out for a lot of reasons. This has a video that's fantastic. It's it's uh, on the a number of lists of the greatest videos of all time. It's on uh, a million lists of rock songs uh, to mark the '80s or to mark any era or whatever. But it 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 definitely comes from the perspective of a teenager who is uh, feeling a little bit rebellious against their parents and um and there's a very there, there's, there's an interesting theme within this album where you know there's a lot of like let's party let's have fun let's get drunk let's do drugs let's go find a bunch of women to make out with you're just saying that that it's very clearly misogynistic is what you're saying oh yeah 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 i think they were playing a character and then the character became real that's the question that i that i wanted to pose i ended up posing the question though so does that bother you that i posed it right 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 because you you interrupted before i could actually say it that's fine though maybe and it's up to the listener to decide but if it just didn't take you three forevers to get there then maybe <laughs> you know i wouldn't have had to intervene but it's cool the parents have have rules and con confines that they want to stick to you, and and these kids are saying like, "No, I don't want to do that." And even though it was tongue in cheek, as they say, like, uh, they were they were trying to harness some energy from from uh that that eighties metal kind of rock and roll that the jocks and the uh the kids that that always you know shat on them and 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 they didn't hang out with, like it did become an anthem for a group of people. And uh, they they later in life had to say like yeah well you know our intentions were different than than what we actually achieved and they had to they had to shift yeah I think that they lived that life for a while after the song came out oh no 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 hundred percent I think they became 
the character that they were mocking and then had to climb back out of it. Exactly. They stopped playing the song after that 1987 tour. Right. They Oh, did they? Live so long to become the joke they intended to like make fun of or whatever, but uh, it was certainly like pointed at that that jock attitude of like Stop being such a dickhead, you know, like just grow up. What's really, I think, fascinating about the Beastie Boys is that all genres of people like your most important hip hop artists like them, your most important rockers like them, women like them, guys like them. But honestly, the demographic that never would like the Beastie Boys and never has is old people. They never appealed (laughs) to parents. You know what also doesn't appeal to old people? Podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why it doesn't matter that we talk shit about them, because they're never going to hear this. They're never going to listen. So anyway, when I when I heard that we were talking about like parents and kids songs, I was like, well, I got to talk about the Beastie Boys, because this was one of the first songs that of the first bands where like I first. That's a lot of firsts. first time that I felt like, oh man, there's there's someone that is giving me a different perspective from uh, the world that I've been presented as as just a youth in the conservative family I grew up in. That's what their thing is, though. That's, that's their universal appeal is to youthful rebellion. And that's why people like across all of the other identity divisions get on board with them because everybody can relate to being a young person and thinking that old people are lame as shit. Oh, 100%. My kids will hear this song in yeah. in like five years and they will think that I'm an idiot and and I will applaud them and say, you're right, I am. I'm a dumbass. This isn't even in the top 10 of my favorite Beastie Boys songs, but uh, I felt the most appropriate. That's the thing about some of these themes that we do. It's like, man, this is not my favorite song from this band. But it fits the theme, so I got to go for it. Well, and so for my next pick, I went with a track from the 2004 record by Bjork, uh, our Icelandic lady, off of the album Medulla. And the song is Mouth's Cradle. And you can use those teeth as a ladder up to Mouth's Cradle, Mouth's Cradle, you can I, more than anything, love the opportunity to bring a little more light to this record because this entire record is one that I am so fond of it's bjork's fifth album released in 2004 and it's entirely vocal based like it's it's just all the human voice there's a couple of electronic elements that come through but i picked this song because the track is one that she wrote while she was a new mother with her second child and uh, there's a lot of references to breastfeeding and to creating this sort of space between her child and her this this uh um uh, oh god what is the what's the lyric i'm 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 lost is it about being unprepared <laughs> i'm unprepared now it talks kind of playfully but 
referring to this child as like this ghost-like beast and then like the unconditional love between that mother and their offspring uh with this bond of infrared love so like there's this lyric the simplicity of the ghost-like beast the purity of what he wants and where it goes always love always loves you always loves you with infrared love and it's just like this really beautiful concept that is is really powerful in the way that it's delivered through the record with uh the Icelandic choir, just like all of these impenetrable voices, like really cutting through, creating all of the melodies. It's such a fantastic song. It's a little bit of a divided fandom on the Bjork side of like whether or not this is an album that's listenable or uh, magnificent. I certainly align with the magnificent side of things. Any opportunity I have to bring some attention to this record, I, I wanted to do so. Yeah, the choir stuff, I'm always into choir things in songs, and it starts off with, like, you know, like, heavy choir infused in, like, these weird rhythms. It's like, there's a lot going on in this thing. You got to listen to it a few times. Well, and so Razel doing all of the beats, like, he's the, you know, uh, for those that don't know, he, he, he does all of the beats for The Roots, or he did... He was in the roots for a, a number of years, but he's just this human voice beatboxer who can sing while he beatboxes. If your mother only knew. Right? That's pretty. That was like what it sounds like. That's a bad impression, but yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Go find lots of Razel because it is. Just go listen to this whole fucking record because it's incredible what they are able to do sonically with, with the power of the human voice. Do you think that all music analysis is better if you work in sonically the adverb? Russ, can we get an adverb check on sonically? <laughs> I'm guilty of that too. Yeah, we're going to allow it this time, but not too much. That's um, that's a word from Russ. Thanks, Russ. Thank you, Dr. Frodo, for our fucking grammarly constructs. So that's Bjork and that's Mouth's Cradle. Russ, what do you got? And the mouth's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> so my first pick is called Raised by Wolves. It's by the Interrupters. It doesn't matter. My life was shattered. And my heart's got old. You left a child out in the wild. And I was raised by wolves. I was raised by Raised by Wolves is off of The Interrupters' fourth studio album, In the Wild, that came out in 2022. They're an L.A. ska punk band, and this is their first album not produced by legendary rancid frontman Tim Armstrong. It was recorded during the pandemic, and he wasn't able to do it due to lockdown. I met Tim Armstrong at a Beastie Boys concert. Whoa, full circle. That's cool. Rancid opened for the Beastie Boys on the Intergalactic Tour. I was a sophomore in college. I didn't have a ticket. I got a ride for some dudes out of, outside the front of Bruce Hall to the Fort Worth Starplex. And I went with nothing but like $30 and a fossil watch. And I sold my watch to a scalper for tickets to a, a floor seat for that show. And, uh, and then I met Tim Armstrong outside of the venue. 
The scalper took a fucking fossil watch? <laughs> it was 1999. It was kind of nice looking. What an idiot. He took fossil watch in $30. He's like, man, I don't even like silver. And I was like, I, it's it's worth 100 bucks." And he was like, well, okay, here you go. That is unbelievable. I think he had too many tickets. Yeah, that would never happen again. And then, yeah, after the show, Tim Armstrong's smoking a cigarette outside of the venue, and I walked by, and I was like, holy shit, you're Tim Armstrong. Great show. He was like, yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> like, in a fake... <laughs> yeah. European yeah. accent. Yeah, thanks, man. I was like, bye. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Speaking of the interrupt, Dave. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a Tim Armstrong story. Go ahead. Okay. So they locked down together during the pandemic and recorded this album. In the Wild is an honest, vulnerable, personal album that almost serves as a history of Amy Interrupters, real name Amy Allen's life. And the Raised by Wolf song thematically sums up most of the album. Amy said she had the opening lyrics to this song for years, but was afraid to breach her past and delve into the messy details. But the pandemic gave her time to work through many of the things she'd been running from. In the end, Raised by Wolves is a song about forgiving those who harmed her when they should have been protecting her, healing from those wounds, and becoming stronger because of them. Speaking of wolves, this brings me to my next pick. It's called House on Fire, which is off of Rise Against eighth studio album named, you guessed it, Wolves. Rise Against might be my all-time favorite band, hands down. The Chicago Punk Quartet blasts a blend of melodic hooks and hardcore fury, often tackling social issues head-on. While they started trending toward radio-friendly sound around their fifth album or so, House on Fire still packs a punch. Lyrically, the band is known for their outspoken social commentary. They cover a wide range of topics like political injustice, animal rights, humanitarianism, and environmentalism. But there are also these deeply personal songs, which carry a lot of weight. Frontman Tim McElrath has two daughters. This song covers the challenges of being a parent, especially to a 13-year-old girl. My daughter's almost nine, and as sweet as she is, I've seen glimpses of what those years might look like. <laughs> it's frightening. Dude, I am not ready. Yeah. I am not. I am not ready. I'm so scared. Yeah. And then there's just that bit of attitude or that that look. I don't know. There's just, there are things. And then like these little outbursts that come out and you're like, ooh, oh no, this is not going to be pretty. God, what am I getting into with having a daughter? Man, it's the best. I'll just say. Yep. It's the best. You would say that. I feel like it's going to be terrifying. Is it true that the daughter when she's 12 will hate my wife, but love me a lot. That is 
What I've been told, yes. Yeah, that's pretty good. I could get behind that. That's what I've been told. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> High five, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the thing. When they say it's you're the daddy's girl, is that just like you're always cool with dad. Like, and as long as you know you don't do anything really shitty, like you can you can hold on to that. Hey, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm here to help, kind of thing. I think you you've you've hit the right mix of things to have your last kid like be different from your first two kids so yeah for a dude that had two boys in a row like russ you had a boy and a girl I, in different orders i had two girls like i don't know i think it's i think it's good to have a girl dude absolutely so tim was quoted as saying when you hear house on fire you might hear a kind of classic love and loss like love song but the song actually is about becoming a parent I like to think I have the world figured out. Once you throw a 13-year-old daughter your way, you realize I have nothing figured out. And this is an incredible challenge that's at the same time worth it. One cool thing about Rise Against is Tim's way of weaving recurring imagery through their songs. There's several mentions of hand grenades and guns, bullets, storms, war, things like that. It's not so repetitive that it's annoying. It really just binds their albums together like chapters in a book. Here's a tip for anyone just getting started with Rise Against. Pay attention to the bridge of their songs. It's like the dude's rug from the Big Lebowski. It ties the room together. <laughs> wow, man. So once again, Rise Against making a very, very prominent rock and roll, uh, kick-ass uh, punk rock interjection into our show. Thank you, Russ. Jeff. I think you are next. So I went a, a little bit of a different direction here. I lost my dear old dad this year in uh, the year of our recording here, but I was, I was very close to my dad. He was a very good friend of mine in addition to being my dad. And uh, he was a big fan of music, which is where I got it from, I think. I'll, I'll just tell three quick stories about his music love, but we, we always had... 45s laying around of various things and one of the things that he did was we, we listened to George Clinton's Atomic Dog on 45 in the den and he taught us the electric slide but he took those 45s and he was a DJ with them at the dances that my sister had she's older than me and so there was a catholic school that we went to and they asked my dad to be the DJ at the seventh grade dance party with his 45s. Okay. So he was playing things like Atomic Dog. He was playing Cream by Prince, which is unbelievable because it's so dirty. At a Catholic school. At a Catholic school. And so the second grade teacher, let's say her name is Mrs. Raspberry, uh, because that was actually her fucking name. Miss Raspberry. <laughs> That's no bullshit. She goes up to him and she goes, hey, the kids are getting pretty handsy with each other. So could we speed it up on this next song? Let's turn it into a big dance number. And he, he kind of like moved his headphones off. And he goes, yeah, I got you. I got you. And he put his headphones back on, which is probably like some old corded Sony headphones, massive things. And she walked off. And then the next song he put on was Procol Harum's Wider Shade of Pale, which is like the slowest and longest <laughs> slow song you could ever put on. And then all the kids are basically like fingering each other on the... <laughs> <laughs> 
There's no no room for the Holy Spirit. I was very young, but I just heard Dad tell my mom. He goes, "Nobody tells me how to DJ." That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so he just said, "F oh, you." God. Oh my God! It's so funny to me. Yeah, so that was one, and then another one is that um, we got in trouble at a hotel on two different occasions for singing too loud. It's not like we sang together all the time, but when we were drinking, we would commonly, like... You and your dad? Just start belting it. Yeah, so we were singing With or Without You by U2 in a hotel in Belfast, which is like, I thought U2 gets a free pass, you know, because they're Irish. But we got a call. It was like, it was probably like two in the morning. And the hotel called us and they're like, uh, I'm sorry, sir. You're, uh, you're being a bit loud up there. What's going on? I was like, I'm singing with my dad, you assholes. Leave us alone. And you're like, okay, okay. We got you. Okay. And then another time, if you could imagine this, we got in trouble in New Orleans. No. For singing in a hotel room, which is. No. No way, right? What? We threw a vomit-filled pillow out of a window in New Orleans <laughs> and got in no trouble. <laughs> we did. That was a bachelor party. Are you telling me you got in trouble for singing? We did. We got a call for singing on two, not just once, but twice. Was it a Ramada Inn? They are the worst. <laughs> uh, Ramada, not a sponsor. Yeah. yeah um, like, we'll never be a sponsor. Yeah, never going to be a sponsor, no. The worst. They are the worst. Sheridan rules. <laughs> and Marriott, pretty good, too. Love you. No, but dude, was a, he was a big fan of music. He introduced me to Pearl Jam when he was in his 30s and I was a young man and stuff like this. He was just, uh, he was always a fan. So this goes out to him, but... Good dude, good dude. He's a great dude. But I was thinking through the songs that are basically like dads and sons and mortality and so those are the ones that were shaping my choices and the first one kind of a a deep cut i think everybody knows this song uh because they've heard it at some point but you don't really know the name of the band but it's a song from 1988 called the living years by mike and the mechanics Mike Rutherford, who is a member of Genesis. And Genesis is interesting because it's three dudes that went solo after that were all platinum artists after they were in a band together that was platinum. So it was Phil Collins, of course, Peter Gabriel, Mike Rutherford all had successful projects afterwards. But The Living Years is, this is a person speaking to his father after his father has died and he didn't get to say enough to him before his passing. He says, I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. I mean, dude, gut wrenching. 
you know? Totally. My dad and I had time to talk, but I never got to tell him what I wanted to tell him before he passed away. There was one single thing I wanted to tell him, and I never got to say it. It's a little hard, because I was actually on my way down on an airplane when he died. And, you know, you don't always get to say the stuff, so you should just say the stuff all the time. You should just say the stuff all the fucking time. And that's what the song is about. Wayne Coyne has a song about this. You just tell your people, you know, that you're all going to die and that everybody that you love is going to die. And so you might as well tell them that you love them now. That's that's always a true story. And so, uh, you know, call your parents, listener, and, and tell them. Thanks for sharing all that. Like, yep. it's not not super often that we get really really earnest on this show or whatever and and did you say often it's not often it's ever (laughs) yeah oh right so yeah this song when when i saw it on your list i was like shit man yeah that's like a really hard thing to like experience and and go into his service and seeing you you know give his eulogy was a a powerful thing and and i know that he would have been proud to hear it so um you know, he's a good dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, 45-minute eulogy, by the way. People And people, I think people stuck with me. Nobody left. Nobody, Nobody left, left. The Nobody whole time. Left. Everyone stayed. I've got the, the you know, Niagara Falls coming out of my face. Everyone's looking at me like something's wrong with me, and and I'm, I'm dying. But no, it was it was beautiful. It was like kind of participatory though. There were a lot of people in the crowd that was that was name dropping in the thing. It was like it was fun. It was like community. It felt it felt good. It was as much a celebration of his life as it was a tearful goodbye. I felt privileged to be there and to share it with with your family. So I'm gonna tell you guys this. Dave actually unannounced showed up to the wake the day before the funeral and i didn't even know that i didn't know he was coming it was huge it was just like having somebody that you could be on the level with off to the side at this thing that you've got to do that's hard as shit the weird thing about a funeral is that it's like a show it's it's like a wedding like you're putting on a show for everyone but of course you've lost somebody and so it's just like crushing blow at the same time and so, like, Dave just kind of walks into the wake part of it, and I was like, oh, thank God. Like, it's not, it's not just, like, all these people that are family and old people, you know? It was like, okay, my buddy's here. And he immediately, like, started helping and, like, doing all this stuff. So that's why, yeah, Dave is an all-time dude. That's awesome. Good job, Dave. Well, yeah, no, really, I just, like, I hung out with your kid and we played the iPad. <laughs> Which was also massive. I am good to, like, look at an iPad with a five-year-old for at least two hours. <laughs> it was it was a great thing, though. He really he really enjoyed that. Thanks, Dave. I love you, Dave. Uh, this, the second song is, um, I have chosen an elbow song before, and it's because it's the best. It's called Weightless. There's a line in the song that is 
is so beautiful and I'll just, I'll just say it to you, but this is from the perspective of a, a father who's lost his father and he's talking to his son who will never meet granddad. Right. Mm. Which is the situation yeah. that Guy Garvey, my music leader was in. And he just says, when the time came, just like you are, he was weightless in my arms. Oh, God. He's holding his baby. When the time came, just like you are, he was weightless in my arms. That's crushing. It's such a beautiful line. And uh, having like a real small one, I had a, like a real small boy that will never really have any personal memories of his granddad. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, it's always stuck with me that maybe one day I'll be telling him about his granddad, you know? And it's like, when the time came, just like you are, he was weightless in my arms. And that's uh, that's that's the cycle, man. That's the father and son cycle. This whole podcast isn't about fathers and sons, but fuck, man. It's also about fathers and daughters. And you know what? As a coda to this whole thing, there aren't enough songs about fathers and daughters. There just aren't. Loud and Rainwright, check it out. Loud and Rainwright's got a, a really great one. It's a great one. But compared to fathers and sons, it's like a... A very small minority. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight at Six Picks Music Club. Be sure to join us in two weeks' time on National Backwards Day, where we are going to look at songs from 1996 and 1969. You see what we did there? We flipped it. We did a reverse of 96 and 69 because it's Backwards Day. So be sure to check us out. We'll see you then. Keep jamming. This episode of Six Picks Music was produced by Ruben G. Spots. Edited by Emerson Big Cans. What was the second one? I don't even get it. Emerson Big Cans. <laughs> Emerson as them are some. That's genius. <laughs> <laughs>